1: Flushcare.com slash weight loss. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey.
0: And I'm Robert Mann.
1: And this is Talk Art.
0: Welcome to Talk Art.
1: How are you, Rob?
0: I am a bit overwhelmed, to be honest. We have just been in one of the most extraordinary exhibitions I've seen in years. And I kind of wasn't really prepared for it weirdly which is also probably a good thing because i think sometimes when you like um know what you're going into you have a kind of
1: preconceived idea
0: a preconceived idea sorry russ and i are sharing a mic everybody just so you know (laughs) um a preconceived idea of what you're going into and then i think you have expectations and you know whether they're met or not met or whatever which is actually probably a bad thing sometimes and i went in completely blind in a way i mean even though i know joy's work i wasn't familiar as closely with ronan's work yet but We just watched this film that the two artists we're going to meet today have made together in collaboration, and it's one of the most spellbinding mind-blowing films i've seen so i'm feeling really overwhelmed and i'm quite glad we're starting directly after having watched it because i am genuinely a bit awestruck
1: by it well that's that's the desired effect i'm sure i'm sure the artists are going to be thrilled with that
0: (laughs) how are you feeling babe i
1: I feel exactly the same as you i'm just really excited that we're going to get to talk to these amazing creative people right now
0: yeah so we would like to welcome to talk art joy Joy yama Yama and and ronan mckenzie (laughs) hi 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 welcome um well we're actually in your space but um we feel very welcome (laughs) um how are you both doing
2: yeah we're good really really good
3: how are you feeling great
1: we're in your space this is your inauguration show this is the first show and this is a space and we're on hornsey road in north london and your space is called home yeah how did you come to call it home and what is it like to have your own space and how did that come about
3: Um, So it's called Home because I had an exhibition two years ago called I'm Home. Uh, The exhibition was a group show with myself and three other black uh, photographers, female photographers. Um, The show came about because I was really disappointed with the lack of black artists I was able to see in gallery spaces and exhibition spaces. Mm -hmm. And it's completely different in taking work publicly and intaking work on a screen or on your phone or in the internet or something like that. And I just didn't really understand why it was so difficult to come across artists and to see these artists work. And I really wanted to put on a show that celebrated black female artists and photographers specifically. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: Also showing the diversity between us because I've also been feeling that we just get lumped together all the time. Um, And our work is completely different. And just because we're all black and we might all be women, it doesn't mean our work is going to look anything alike. Mm -hmm. And the show really just argued that home and family, which were the themes of the exhibition, were arguably more binding than race or gender. Really just saying that, again, just because we're all black women doesn't mean our our photography is gonna look the same. So the show was called I'm Home because I also wanted to kind of challenge that notion of art spaces and what that had to be like and what that had to feel like. Mm. I didn't necessarily ever feel particularly welcomed, not completely unwelcome either. I mean, I've gone to exhibitions and galleries my whole life and they were always fine. That always enjoyable. But I always felt like I responded to the work more than the space. Right. And I'd been thinking so much more about how a space could influence how I felt and how work is contextualized. So I wanted to build this space for artists, myself included, that allowed the space to add context to the work mm. and situate the work in a way that it would be more appropriate for it to be felt and seen in without having to write on the wall, I'm a black artist or mm. this is what my work is about. Because it might not necessarily what it is about me being black isn't necessarily all my work is about and the other artists in the show felt the same. So it was with myself, Liz Johnson Arter, Joy Gregory and Rhea Dillon and I wanted it to be that lineup as well because obviously Liz and Joy were artists that I've always admired and they've been working and been artists for a lot longer than I have and I think intergenerational conversation is really important Mm -hmm. and it was also we've all spent a lot of time in London and in the UK And seeing how we all respond to home and family through our different journeys and stories would be really interesting to to share as well and to have that conversation and for the work to be in conversation without us even having to say anything. Um, So the setup of the show was like a home. So I rented a kind of gallery slash yoga space and an Airbnb right next to each other Mm -hmm. and designed the space with sofas. There was a living room. There was like a corner where Ria's work was, which had some of her um it had her grandma's bible the images in the work of her grandma and um it was like there was a dining room area where I got a big oak table and we did supper clubs and so was it
1: quite immersive like a? yeah exactly kind of
3: yeah because alongside the exhibition we had an events program as well um where we did like talks workshops so live drawing curated
1: this yeah thing. and so you're uh, because we didn't know your work before we came to the show yeah. to talk to Joy. And then we've seen this film and you're just phenomenal what you've created. But you are a photographer yeah. fundamentally, but also now you're kind of forming a collective, right? And a curator. And
3: Yeah, it's really just about bringing people into the space. I think a lot of black artists often are like excluded from these spaces and we're not made to feel welcome. And I really want to bring the community together, not only the black community, but whoever walks through these doors upstairs is is the community, whoever wants to use the space, whoever responds to the space, and really to have a place that does have a keen focus on Black and Asian artists because it's not there. So following on from that show, which was like 10 days long, um, it had been my dream to make something more permanent of the same kind of vein. And so that's how Home came about.
0: And it is extraordinary, you know, coming off the street here. We're in kind of, it's, they call it gunners' territory. Is that kind of... Mm, you say it's gooners. you talk about Arsenal. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. This is, you know, it is guns, <laughs> yeah, isn't it? I, I don't thought, know. I thought their goodness. logo was Not a gun. Man. No, I know, but it has a gun on it the logo. when you say a I know, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, anyway, coming out from the kind of busy, bustling street into your space here, yeah. it, it was so inviting and kind of calm and... It's not a white cube either.
1: I think people like yeah. kind of so you we're in a space now that is kind of like a white cube. <laughs> yeah. You've made it
0: feel like a home. It feels quite Yeah, realistic. and it's like an environment. It kind of
3: it's like Well, the idea was that I really wanted to, I wanted the space to be welcoming. I wanted the space to really be somewhere that you can see amazing artwork. It's an art destination. And it's respectful, but it's also homely and it's cosy. And I want people to sit down and read and relax. And we're also inviting people to work here so people can come and use it as a workspace if they want to. They just need to let us know they're coming. But people can just use the space because we don't have any spaces. Like, there are hardly any Black-owned galleries or art spaces in London, and There's nowhere that we can just go and be and share and collect ideas. And especially after this whole year, I think a lot of us really want to be connected to other people. We want to be able to share space and have conversations without it feeling so transactional. It's not like, what can I get from you? It's just... These are my ideas. What are your ideas? What do you think of this? And
1: Thelma Golden's kind of model for the Studio Museum in Harlem is so inspiring. And the fact that we spoke to a lot of artists about how that space is missing in the UK, not just in London. In the UK, there isn't that opportunity to have that
3: yeah, and I was really we have actually that book upstairs from that the studio museum and I was really inspired by the Underground Museum in LA as well. Yes. Where I saw Deanna Lawson's exhibition yes. a year or two ago. Super inspired by that and seeing her works large scale on these walls where there were candles and there were smaller photographs and there was so it was so immersive. And we like we don't have that here and we should have that. And it's also kind of finding that bridge between Community based space because I think community has lost so much of its strength. strength. Like when I was younger, when my parents were growing up, community used to mean we take care of each other, we share resources, we lean on each other. And now I feel like the word community is either help me, I need help, or it's completely commodified, of like these are not my actual friends, but these are people that look cool, so that's what my community is. Mm -hmm. And it's bridging these two things where this is actually a space that you're welcome and you can come and. That's why it means so much that the inaugural exhibition is this one that we've we're done together because Wata is our first collaboration and we've been friends for a long time and we've always wanted to collaborate. And for me, it was like my first true collaboration. Like we did everything hand in hand. and How, we're did, you meet,
1: how did you two meet then?
3: How, how did we meet? I feel like, do, do, do you remember uh, the exact <laughs> moment? I remember when we actually met and you took me drawing in Barbican. That sounds like um, me. we. I think we just met on Instagram. I think, think we think follow each other. The
1: brutalist architecture, like oh
3: scripture. no no no, literally Did like just draw in the barbecue. Yeah, Joy was like, I'm gonna go to the barbican to do some drawings of people who are at the barbican oh, Okay, wow.
2: yeah, that sounds like and my kind of activity. Joy was like, <laughs> I'm gonna
3: go with my friend. Do you want to join? Because we've just been chatting on Instagram, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. And Instagram so I went, is how we've met. Well, yeah, I've met a lot of artists. Yeah. So I would have seen your work. Absolutely loved it.
3: Same, likewise, big fan. And You yeah.
2: must have enough for it. The drawing, yeah. Well, I,
3: it's not like I draw. I mean, I'm like primarily a photographer, but I do a little, do a little dabble in sketching here and there. And I was like, well, this is really nice. Like, I I've never been invited by someone, another artist, to do something like that. So I was like, okay, cool. I brought my little pen and paper. It was amazing. I like, really had such a nice time. Just. Oh. It's really
2: chill in there as well because it's like dim lights. You can just draw like all day. There's loads of people that just come and go. Like I really like. Observational drawing, like just like catching someone for a second and just doing a quick squiggle. Don't know where those drawings are now, but it's just is that, about so, is that the something process. Something you still
1: do? Is that a pra- like, part of my yeah, practice? Yeah, yeah, that's
2: part of my practice. So just
1: street drawing, like
2: yeah, like oh, I don't necessarily stand on the street. I like really, to be yeah. somewhere warm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but I can I can do that from like being inside like a gallery, just drawing people, drawing faces. I like I enjoy that kind of thing. And then like we met up quite a few times after. Mm-hmm um We've done a lot of pub quizzes. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I love a
1: pub
2: we love a pub quiz. quiz.
3: Yeah. We haven't you won love.
1: a single <laughs> during lockdown. Did do lockdown? We, yeah, we did. did. We,
3: we did. Did. Yeah. indeed we, we did. did, and yeah. we um we're not, we're not that pub great quiz. at
2: <laughs> pub quizzes. I would say
3: our general knowledge is quite poor.
2: Yeah, I would say so we rely heavily on our partners.
3: <laughs> we do, but I think in we're not very good at pub quizzes, but we're great at other things.
0: We? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> art, you know, yeah, but yeah. maybe the maybe the quiz is what
3: brings you well, yeah, well, we just like I think even though our practices are so different, there are so many similarities and the way we approach things and our characters, and we've always just had such a good laugh and been really respectful to each other, and we wanted to collaborate, but. We didn't know what to do, because obviously if it was something photography based, I would completely take over. And if it was something paint or illustration based, you would take over. So we wanted to find a medium where, I mean, I do do a little bit of directing, but it's still quite new to me. So it was a medium that we both could kind of explore and share.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But Let's talk about this film then, Mm. Wata. The title and the colour blue are very important in the movie. How did you both collaborate and come up with that? Because you're both writing and directing it.
2: Yeah, we did absolutely everything. And I think the obsession with the colour blue, we were, like, sending a lot of blue photos, like, back and forth. Yeah. um, Talking about, like, quite loosely what the colour blue meant to us before we actually came up with the concept. Like, archive
3: pictures. Yeah, it was all, like, honestly a really organic, just sending each other stuff that we liked. So we thought the other one might like, whether that was, like, jazz and high-life music, images, like, pictures we'd taken or textures or just random loads of blue stuff so and really blue music. Really were
1: going to make something No, this together. was
3: before. Well, yeah, we kind right. of always like, let's collaborate, let's but do something. we never something. really like yeah. sat
2: down and thought about it, so this yeah. was just like a casual discussion and then we were saying maybe we should meet up to talk about collaborating. Yeah. Wow. And we did that and we I sat in the cafe.
0: No,
2: not. Not, not yeah. a cafe. Not a barbecue, <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a cafe in Yeah.
3: So we like, went to the grocery.
2: Oh, okay, yeah. I remember just like sitting in the back and we had our laptops with we her for hours coming yeah. up with this very idea. Oh. Was- well
3: funnily enough like I feel like within the first hour we had the idea because I wasn't familiar with Mamiwata. So my parents are Caribbean and... Can you tell
1: us about Mamiwata then?
3: Well, all I know is from what I know from you and my research. So you take that one.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so I was um, telling Ronan about how I had a conversation with my mum. I think it was about swimming because around the time... I think I wanted to go on holiday and I was thinking about swimming, couldn't remember if I could still swim. And and my mum was saying why she's scared of swimming and how she'd interacted with Mammy Water, And I was thinking, what? I'd never heard of this. And she was telling me about um, this mermaid. So I looked into it and she's a a water deity and she is known like Central Africa, uh, West Africa, all throughout the world, actually, even in the Caribbean, but under different names. I think some places call her um, River Mama or um, Yamaya. There's lots of different names that she goes under. Mm-hmm. And so, I was just telling you about it, and we were like just researching everything about her. And um, the idea is that she has all these like jewels and silver and like all these like riches. Lives in. Like several different places, and like under the waters, travelers come by, and she like takes them into her waters, kind of like a typical mermaid. But people, like captivated by her, like yeah, a, yeah, like
1: a siren brings them in. But does she then? What does she, what does she do with them?
2: Yeah. So people who have met her, because there's quite a few like YouTube videos that you can find, and some people have said that their lives afterwards were actually enhanced. Like their health is improved. They had an increase in wealth. They generally felt happier wow. so it was this weird thing like once you meet her suddenly your life has changed
1: mm-hmm. which we and people yeah. have claimed to have met her
2: yeah 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 there's there's loads of people who i think there's some um, regions which even see her as like a god and worship
3: mm-hmm. worship
2: her like, seen as, like, a god of, um, it might be fertility, I think it
3: is. But I also remember you telling me about how a lot of people are kind of frightened or scared of her, and she's still kind of an enigma. Yeah, I'd like be people, scared. I'd
1: be scared of her.
3: Yeah, people don't really know whether it's... Even though they've had experience, good experiences afterwards, they're not really sure whether it's something they should be excited about or something they should be scared of. Mm. And because often she's not always in female form, so we talked about how she can be fluid or sometimes she represents more masculine or as a man and sometimes it's more of a woman and we really liked that aspect of this person or this character that is fluid and flows like the water and we'd been talking about floating as well um, and the importance of that feeling of being carried um, Mm. and then sort of using that story to... The
1: weightlessness of the water, I guess. Exactly,
3: exactly. And the way that water is what bridges us to Africa and the Caribbean, where we're from and where our ancestors lie and where our history and culture, stories all come from and how we've obviously journeyed in a way from there to here, where we are, where we live, where we were born, where we grew up. But so much of who we are and what we are still lies there. And the music that we love, listen to and adore, that sort of African jazz, high life music, comes from Africa and Mm. how that sort of translates into the London scene of musicians who are still practicing very much in similar ways here. Mm. So we wanted to use water as the narrative for, or the illustration to the journeying of the music and of our people.
2: Mm. Yeah, that's I'd say that really well sums it up. Like even like the fact that those stories like about her have made their way all the way
3: exactly here exactly. in London
2: and we're able to like watch this film, like our interpretation. Yeah, and of what's it. really
3: interesting is so many people that were part of the film, in the cast, on the set, they'd already had their own stories, heard their own stories of Mamiwata and mm-hmm. had their own experiences in a way, and even though they're all from different places, so like you're Congolese, I'm Caribbean and there were people from other parts of Africa and the Caribbean in the film that had all heard of Mami Wata in their own way. Yeah.
0: And the the film begins with this incredible sequence, which is so sort of lulling and really like brings you in as a viewer um, in water and all the kind of bubbles within the water in this really rich blue.
1: I mean, staring straight at the audience, Mm. you're really engaging straight away with us. And especially when everyone's lying on the surface at one point, looking up they're all looking at
3: us that's also um was really special that we did because we wanted to have aspects of ourselves in the work and we we found these ways to bring through joy's work my work so that scene where they're lying on top of the water was inspired by two very specific things it was inspired by a conversation i had with my auntie in barbados um where she's like at the time she was 74 she can float in any position and i remember being so like she looked like she's standing on a rock but she's floating her feet not touching anything and i remember being so like how how can you do that like what is going on and she was like well if i look at the sky and i'm not worried about dying i know the water's going to carry me i'm not going anywhere the water's got me so i'm okay and i really wanted to have a scene of floating to represent this moment that my auntie just feels that if she just lets herself go, the water's going to carry her. She's safe, and then simultaneously, one of Joy's pieces from the um, Blue Glass blue Fortunes, glass fortunes yeah. the piece from one of your other exhibitions. It's
2: like this painting: a uh, black background, white figures holding these like blue um, wine glasses. Oh, which came from a dream, right? Yeah, which came from a dream, <laughs> and this the scene where you see all the um, like water souls mm-hmm. from above in all in white is referencing that yeah that we painting. took the
3: formation from that painting of joys it
2: was really hard to do that
3: <laughs> formation in water
1: oh, but, they all look really comfortable floating because i was watching it thinking are they all kind of like their stomachs in trying to stay afloat but it's it's amazingly powerful and this film is what five and a half minutes long
3: uh, no that was the shortcut our oh. full director's cut is like 13 minutes
1: wow so, so what did we just watch like the, the full
3: version the full version. Really? It felt like quicker than that. No. But that just sums up how like good it is. I think it's the music, though, well, it's the the music, music yeah. so that's also so important. And how important. it just splits
2: into different parts. I think that's what makes it feel like it's... Yeah, yeah,
3: there are like key scenes and chapters of the story that we wanted to tell. And we really, it was really important to us that we had music made specifically for the film. Um, and I mean, we collaborated with some amazing musicians. Roxanne Tatayi, who's the singer, the producer. I mean, a whole musician who does the opening... I mean, we were both at a performance of hers last year's at Swiss, Swiss Church.
2: Yeah, that was absolutely amazing to and see. And yeah. it
3: was Roxanne and this type of, I don't even know how to really describe the, the way she sings. You have to see, kind of see the film to understand the depth of her voice, mm. but the atmosphere that she creates through her voice. And it's also completely unexpected, possibly for what, you, I don't know, what you might think you're going to hear from this film, but her introducing with these deep, rich, soulful sound that, yeah, it's just incredible.
2: Yeah, I love her, I love her voice and then after, so that's like the, well she comes in later on in the film but in Mm -hmm. the intro that's what you hear as you see the blue Um, and then we have um, Marcel, who Her happens brother. to be Ronan's brother. He's <laughs> <Who's> a <laughs> yeah. saxophonist makes an appearance. <laughs> we have quite a few, like, family appearances. Yeah. In the-
3: <laughs> family appearances, we like to call it. But yeah, he plays,
2: he plays the saxophone. In that floating scene. And it's, like, absolutely stunning. And he worked with um, Melo Zed, um, who does the produc- a lot of the production. And then after that, we had Biram B- Sec. I'm in love with his so voice. It's an
1: original track. Yeah, it's an original track. you're gonna release this as,
2: as a vinyl. New. As a vinyl, yeah. As a vinyl yeah, major. yeah. Yeah. And like I'm absolutely in love with his voice. It's the oh, it's so the brown cool. scene where you yeah, hear the dream like, scene. The, I don't even know how to explain his voice. It is kind of like dreamlike.
3: I mean, I feel like the whole track is it's quite the, in, in, it yeah. It was a dream-like, yeah.
0: <laughs>
3: yeah. And then we have the confrontation scene, which is supposed to just zap you out of that dreamlike world and bring you straight into being face to face with Mamiwata or face to face with your culture and your ancestry and your history and understanding how to respectfully take from that. I think that's a big theme for the, a key theme for the film is how to respectfully take something from another place and bring it into wherever you are and to mm. kind of love that history, love that culture, but yeah, just be really respectful of where it, it came from. Respectful
0: is such a good word because that's actually what it really does feel like it's kind of really um, sort of commemorating the past, but also it's very sort of in the present. You know what I mean? Like, it's very much now as well. Like, it's a fascinating film. I just can't go over the level of detail in it. So, like, from, like, the makeup, okay? I'm just going to quickly say a few things, but, like... Like the makeup in the water scene, where there's kind of blue, the blue makeup eyes. on the eyes, yeah. And then and then things like when that scene in the kind of interior space where bedroom. you've got pillows oh, yeah. in the bedroom, yeah. And then you've got all these different fabrics. Whether it, And it's so detailed, though. The complex costumes and surfaces and just elements within it, I can't get over it, including the music. I mean, it's just extraordinary. Did how, how did you Gucci, do that?
1: Gucci uh, thanks at the end. A
0: big thanks
2: to Gucci. Yeah, yeah. That, they helped us <laughs> out they helped us out a lot. Um, so they were able to help us in supporting the film and also the clothes. Wow. Which? So yeah. How did you pitch to Gucci? How did you get a brand like that involved?
3: Well, Joy had worked with them before.
2: Okay. Yeah. So Joy um, had an email. It's all yeah, about the emails.
1: It's
3: just the email. <laughs> <laughs> um, we basically, we had a treatment. We sent it off and they said yes.
2: Yeah, we, well, we were like waiting quite a while and we just hope for the best and yeah. we were so happy when like they got back to us
3: we just didn't want to compromise on what we wanted it to be and did you know the
1: budget as well you needed to make something like this
3: yeah um well th- we had a producer julie who helped us with it and um she put a budget together so we kind of knew a rough cost of what to ask for
2: yeah it, how long did it take to film
3: the actual fil- the actual filming yeah
2: is- Two days.
3: Whoa! Yeah, two, two days. days. Yeah.
2: two two full, very full <laughs> okay. days. That is rigor. <laughs> that is my like organization. Days. I mean, yeah. that is so good. Everything was perfectly planned from like six a.m. Probably before six a.m. Must mm. have been like five a.m. It went too easy. Like the end of the day.
3: I think the, every, but everybody was so into it. It was an incredible feeling on set yeah. everyone because everyone was so happy part of the it.
2: The the quality of the performances
1: is next level. It's phenomenal. The commitment mm. that everybody is yeah. in the moment on screen it's really i said it's so satisfying because you just feel like they're in it
0: mm-hmm. it's
1: really moving
0: yeah anywhere you look it doesn't matter who you're looking at cuz sometimes mm-hmm. there's like 10 people on screen at yeah, the same exactly. time you look peripherally yeah. and they're <laughs> yes. all they're all in their moment and they've all got yeah. such different energies yeah. it's like extraordinary yeah. well, that casting was the thing well. so yeah.
3: abdu the movement director who is the musician character um he choreographed everything and he what he was really trying to do which we saw on the rehearsal day was just bring out everyone's own ideas of what it should be. So he wasn't like, move your arm like this, do this. He was just bringing out, this. yeah, the story of what everyone had inside.
2: Mm. I think he actually said, forget everything that you know about dance. and Just be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, just seeing just them food practicing food. as well, they really got into it. And, like, seeing yeah. them get to know each other it's a the the few days before. It's the eye
1: contact they have of each other as well. They're so engaged. It's but like... one of
3: some of the performances that we... We gave Abdu a couple of performances of references that we really loved. Like mine was Sean Cootie, who I think is incredible on stage. I mean, I've never seen him in real life, but I'm very familiar with him on YouTube and the way he moves his body and just like, it, it just looks like something is coming through him as opposed to him. And then... Oh, mine was, um, it's this
2: video that my mum always plays. I'm probably going to get her name wrong. It's Moana Ch- Chala um, and she's a really popular Congolese singer and... She's known for like her, the rotation of her hips, yeah. the way that she dances. It's like absolutely mesmerizing. Mm-hmm. Seeing her on stage, like it almost yeah. feels like she's isolating one part of her body and then mesmerizing singing at the same the time. Um, so yeah, that was one of the inspirations yeah. behind the what dancing. Your
1: keep playing it all the time. Is it one of her favorite things?
2: Just a really limited playlist on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> like really, really, really no cool. I to, to, to watch that yeah. one video. So she's limited, really but gold. Like yeah. The,
3: the but, playlist that yeah. she did for your last exhibition was incredible. Oh, yeah,
2: I absolutely love the music my mum listens to. And like every so often she'll give me songs cool. and then I make a playlist. Talking about your
1: playlist? I mean, your Spotify playlist, I'm obsessed with, which you've released.
3: Yeah, that's a joint. Yeah,
1: <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. We just it. dropped in so a lot of music. Brilliant. <laughs>
2: I'm obsessed with that.
3: That's all where I was playing in yeah, the exhibition as well upstairs. for people to hear. Just to kind of get like, the wider world of yeah. what we were hearing. And
2: yeah, it's just encouraging people to, to dance. And, yeah. like, even after I see the film now, I feel like I want to dance and just you know,
0: celebrate. Yeah, celebrate. The, feeling. the,
3: the yeah. final scene, Blue Blue Love, is about celebration.
0: And actually, it was music that first brought me to your work, Joy, because I am friends with a singer and songwriter and producer called Danae Moore, who has also been a previous Talk Art guest, and her partner, Nadira Amrani, who's an incredible filmmaker, and they are both huge fans of yours. And when we first I live with ever met... Work.
1: Yeah, I live with your
0: work. Yeah. When we first met, I said to them, oh, do you live a thing at home? I think we should do a Talk Art episode. And they were like, yeah, we collect um, this amazing artist called Joy. And showed me the prints and they were so good. So you've been printmaking for quite a long time now because they're they're about three years old, I think, the prints that...
2: The ones that they have, yeah, I think the three... Is it the red Jember yes, print? Exactly. Yes, yeah, yes. probably like three years ago. Yeah. I think it's three years ago. And I, I always remember because my friend was in university at the time and I used, like, his printmaking in his uni oh, really? to get it done. And even with, like, the... The letters. Like a lot of people ask me why is it that it says Gemba on yeah. it and not gender? And it is really simply because I wasn't great at printmaking and always got the B and the D because you have to do it backwards when you're when you're printing. And I think someone had put the b's where the d's should have been and so i just kept getting it wrong with every single one <laughs> and then i was just thinking why isn't this working out and so i just had all these pages which just said jember and then yeah. i ended up embracing it. you're like go on and then, then that yeah an that <laughs> yeah. embrace
0: your
1: mistakes yeah,
2: right? yeah yeah embracing and then realizing that actually i guess it says a lot about how i feel about gender identity you know it's as a wider thing you yeah it's really a... understand
1: it straight away yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah so that's how um that print came about but um. I'd say the core of what I do is illustration, right. printmaking, drawing. That's that's me. And
0: Sorry.
3: Oh, no, I was just going to say the fact that Danae has pieces of yours. I have a piece of yours that I got from a show maybe two years ago that took me like a year to frame. Um, yeah, I remember. <laughs> but that's also links back to what home is about because I think so many black people don't have access to artwork in their home spaces or it's not something that we, we do but not in the kind of way that we're doing it and like seeing your work and having your work and having your piece is like the center of my kitchen just brings me so much joy every day and it's a piece that says circle of circles of old forming into a new I love that one it's yeah it's yeah. incredible and just honestly seeing it every day brings me so much happiness and I really want more especially black people to be able to be around artworks that that share joy and evoke joy and joy is one of those people that makes that happen <laughs> joy, joy brings joy. yeah well literally you yeah, really do I, def- I
2: think like being able to own a piece of art yeah. is completely different to just seeing it in a gallery setting completely. it's nice to have it at home living with you like building a relationship with that yeah. like that's something that I want to do too like I want to be able to buy more like artists artist work yeah have that in my bedroom so
0: you know, it's really interesting because when you first started talking earlier, Ronan, um, about the motivation behind this space and about the physical space, when you mentioned Rhea's work, I know Rhea through Instagram um, because of Danae and Nadira. Okay, yeah. And I've been following Rhea's photography. I think Rhea's incredible, Rhea mm-hmm. Dillon. And it's really interesting to think that actually I've never seen Rhea's photographs in real life. Mm. And it, you're right. It's so There's important so to like leave that, that you know, digital world and go into the physical and actually make a physical space for, you know, for artists to show their work. Yeah. Um, it is really urgent, that, actually. And I'm, I'm really happy that you're, you're sort of doing this here because it will grow into other things as well, I think. Um, yeah. yeah I, I
1: like the fact, well, taken away from that, though, saying that Instagram has been an incredible tool. Mm-hmm. I mean, you two uh, met yeah. on that. And for you, Instagram is a way of archiving, like a diary for yourself that you actually use and reference to go back to to continue your practice.
2: Yeah, definitely. I would do you know, it's been really key for me because where I've moved from space to space and the artworks just end up disappearing or I lose them along the way. Like Instagram has been the archive of everything. That I've made, and not everything is like shown there. Some things I just like archived for myself, but yeah. it's been a good way of me, like, this existed once, even if I. What do you mean don't...
1: disappearing though, as in sold, or disappearing and they've just been destroyed or whatever? Disappearing
2: over? as in maybe something has happened to it in, in progress, like, oh, no, not progress, in transit, like on the way it's got damaged, or right. um, maybe I have lost it, or maybe I've left it behind, and because I've had quite a few studios along the way um and also i have this habit of where like if i suddenly i realize i don't like an artwork i will paint over the whole entire thing and and pretend that it just didn't exist and make a new piece (laughs) and then um like i guess you could be like oh what happened to this old one and it's like it used to be what this new painting is you need an x-ray
1: machine and you can see it (laughs) yeah
2: yeah like some of the ones on display
0: have had probably like quite like two to three lives already so this is like the final (laughs) so it's almost like Instagram somehow becomes like a, a, a digital diary or something like a kind of place to record you know the experience of what you've been doing in your creation I guess
2: yeah yeah I like I love it it's it's good to have it in that way and also for the connecting with artists and Like, all the artists that I know who have now become friends is all through Instagram. That's pretty amazing because I felt like I was just, like, in a little bubble before, like, when I left university.
1: is in Portsmouth, right? Yeah, yeah, I went to
2: the uni in Portsmouth. And then following that, feeling like I know so many talented artists, like, literally any single field you name and I'll know an artist that does that. Like, you go to um, a private view, you might go by yourself or to, like, an opening and you'll m- make friends there. And I think that's a really, like, lovely thing yeah. that Instagram has allowed me to do.
1: But didn't you use it as well to channel anxieties from being in Portsmouth? Oh, a, yeah, 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 yeah. I did not have emotion, a good time at Emotional stuff was going on and it was... It <laughs> was
2: probably, like, my Tumblr days, which oh, is, yeah, like, Tumblr a on. lot more emo. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, I used it in that kind of way because I didn't have a great university experience. Um, I ended up moving... Oh, the racism there, like Portsmouth, Portsmouth was very, very intense. And it felt like I was dealing with some kind of ism every single day to the point that um, it was a three year course. And on the third year, I moved back to London, but I commuted once a month to Portsmouth. I still did really well. <laughs> it's just I wasn't in. And I think I missed out on that like real like, university experience. Was anybody aware of
1: that, the university, that this was happening, or this was the kind of commonplace?
2: I think, so I had made it known to, like, the university, um, but it was, it wasn't just, like, the course, it was the town. Mm -hmm. I think there was a bit of, like, like resistance to anyone who wasn't white, really. Um, So I'd get, like, things thrown at me from the car, and I'd, like, have people call me, all kinds of stuff, just complete strangers. It felt like a harsh... um, like, a really harsh reality coming from, like, London and coming mm. from, like, a really, like, diverse class, like, absolutely loved college, and then being thrown into a situation like that. And I had never experienced something that intense and having to live with that every day. When I came back to London, I was, like, really, really grateful to be here and
1: so sorry met so many that. artists. So, sad.
2: so, yeah, it was it was really horrible. But I think coming from that, like, it made me want to connect with, like, all the artists that are out here and um, not just saying that it's all in London, but it made me, like, grateful for all the art that is going on. Yeah, and, like, find the community, like, a proper community on Instagram, so...
1: Did it channel into your work, your practice, this experience of Paul Smith and...
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. I think that's what got me into, like, writing about my everyday life. Like, I would make, like, illustrations and comics about the things that would happen and then... Then ended up becoming paintings and drawings and then realizing that what I can offer that is different um, in terms of my art is just talking about my everyday life, even if it's just like combing my hair or brushing my teeth or whatever it is, just talking about my everyday existence. And I think people seem to like respond well to that.
1: Yeah, because it's very domestic, some of your images, like you're looking in a mirror in the bathroom, as you're saying, brushing your teeth. You, you create these images that are very universal and recognisable, but kind of private.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it also feels very intimate sharing all these like artworks that are about my life and then having people see it in a gallery setting. But in this kind of setting, it feels a lot more like, I don't feel like everyone's looking at my life. You're sharing it with a friend
1: as well. This, <laughs> yeah, this yeah.
2: collaboration. Yeah, and it's great. I mean, like, we've been talking about this since, I think it was last year that we've been talking about the exhibition, the output, and to actually see it come to life. Like, I still feel giddy just thinking. It's a massive achievement.
0: <laughs> massive But also the film, you did first, and then out of the film, the exhibition kind of grew. So the seeds of the exhibition that we've just experienced is is directly from the collaboration you've made. So you've both gone away and individually made your own work, separate from each other, but on the same kind of trajectory, knowing you're about to do this joint presentation. So they're kind of together but alone, the actual artworks.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I mean... It, doesn't, it didn't really actually feel like I was ever alone in the making because yeah. we constantly send
3: photos constantly. back and forth, like yeah. behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> like, I love it because Joy's always like, but... oh, my God, can I send this to Ellen? And I'm like, obviously, I'm assuming you'll send Ellen everything anyway. Yeah. Um, we send a lot soon. of things
2: like back and forth. Yeah. So it never felt like I was making this like on my own. Um, yeah. And I think that's quite a, a nice thing to have done this together. And yeah. I imagine that we're probably going to collaborate on quite a few things. 100%.
3: Yeah, I mean, we're already, we were, like, really well <laughs> we're already talking so, about things.
1: Success. So your photography, how do you find uh, the models for your photographs and how, how often are you photographing?
3: I mean, it's a mixture. Um, sometimes I work with like models from agencies. Often I work with family. My mum's a big part of my work. Um, friends of, quite a lot of time I'll find one person from a family either through street casting or a model agency and then I'll find do you have any siblings? Do you have a mum? <laughs> do you have a dad? Do you cool. have or, oh, Jordan as well in the film. Jordan my cousin's in the film or my brother's in the film um,
1: Do you photograph Joy? Not yet. Ah, well, that's the next collaboration. I surely. mean, we've talked
3: about it before. We though have, I've asked, asked to, if I can photograph
1: right? illustrated But <laughs> <laughs> That's what needs to happen oh, well, there. Yeah. You go. Well,
3: I want a lot of your
1: illustrations yeah. over the top. That could be a whole
0: other show. <laughs> it could be like you presenting each other. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable.
3: <laughs> Well, I asked Joy if I could photograph you and Ellen because I do, a lot of my work is about family or relationships, tenderness, kind of showing those sort of black relationships.
1: Who's, who's Ellen? Oh, oh
3: sorry, partner. Joy's okay. partner. And
2: Ellen would definitely say yes to this, by the way. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Ellen's like major Ronan McKenzie fan.
1: So, yeah. <laughs> so Ellen's a big fan of your work?
3: i would, yeah i, I mean so. ellen must be, be your so. biggest fan yeah
0: <laughs> you'd hope ellen would like joy's work yeah. <laughs> that could be a problem
3: <laughs> sorry we should have mentioned who ellen was just yeah. chatting about her but um yeah so we, we're definitely going to continue collaborating i mean even just having this friendship for me has really expanded my world and my vision and having somebody to always share things with and like yeah again even though our practices are completely different i think having like a creative partner in a way has yeah, been really that's valuable it, that's
2: definitely what it feels like yeah I mean, there's there's been like I guess a lot of like famous artistic duos and yeah. I feel like we might be onto something <laughs> <Definitely>. <laughs> so that's how I feel like definitely. definitely it's just fun to do like I actually have have had Same. fun throughout this whole entire program um, process yeah. from planning to the very end and I feel like even if there's been times where we haven't been on the same page, we're very good at like, yeah,
3: I think that's what quite surprising like, is because we've always, we don't always agree on everything. And we definitely have different points of view. But it's always been so smooth and easy. Because if one of us is like, I'm not sure about that. And the other one's like, well, I think it's gonna be really good. Then we're like, okay, let's go for it. So there's never any tension and that's really special because... You're
2: happy to compromise for each other.
3: Yeah, because yeah. we, we believe in each other's yeah, visions. Yeah, like, I
2: love your work so I totally trust that Same. if you're like, we should do this, then yeah. it's coming from like your experience and... I totally trust that.
0: We were talking to Thomas J. Price recently and he was talking about this idea of, um, as an artist, you kind of often feel quite uncomfortable and it's the uncomfortable situations that can propel you forward Mm -hmm. and to make, you know, to be challenged and not just to be said, yes, it's great all the time, actually does mean...
1: The uncomfortable is a really good medium to work with
0: yeah so I guess having each other as a critic is quite an interesting thing to propel you forward like and mm. to push each other. I don't, know if, I
3: don't know if I'd use the word critic because we're both like oh my god that's amazing really- <laughs> <laughs> my both is like oh my god just this champion, is great yeah. Champion, yeah. Champion, yeah. yeah it's definitely yeah. challenging. and actually I would I would say something different to what Thomas has said okay, because yeah. well a lot, as I said all my work is about love and joy and aside from my like personal work I do commercial work where mm which is my income and in that I've had so many challenging situations similar racism and just like also just dumb situations fickle people and people who care too much about fashion and stuff like that then how people feel and caring for people and actually I feel that I thrive best in a loving scenario and my best work is created when there's love and there's people caring for each other and coming together so yes I agree that those uncomfortable situations can propel you but I feel that love can propel me more
2: mm. I definitely agree I think that this this film was definitely love like we had yeah like yeah we had like your, your cousin yeah in the film
3: and she's not I, a dancer she no, was just no, I no, just no. really no I just wanted her in it and I was like you can dance right and she was like I mean yeah I can dance and I was like okay so I'm going to cast you as one of the dancers for this film and she turned <laughs> up to rehearsals and she was like oh wow you really meant dance <laughs> but she was great though. she was amazing and she really
2: like like I guess I. Like, bloomed in the film and yeah, then we she also did. had like ronan's brother doing like the audio sister yeah. do makeup yeah she did yeah my she, sister. Did hair, she did hair um hair. hair yeah she does makeup on the side but she did hair in it yeah and, yeah she did. like even like her being part of the project mm-hmm. i think made it more special definitely so yeah it was definitely. nice to have all the people that we like love in this oh, there's love, a lot of love going into your
1: yeah 100
3: percent because I don't know I think when there's love then there's there's space for those sort of criticisms or Mm -hmm. conversations where you might not agree but because love is at the core you just make something happen and you just you respect each other and that's really really important
0: one of my favourite moments in the film um, is the combs that you yeah. See. so that was another collaboration they're amazing room. absolutely they're amazing broken at one point are
3: so yeah that's Joy BC who we collaborated with because um, Joy BC is a, an artist and specifically a jeweller and she had done this whole project about combs and I went to see them last year
1: what I think Joy, do you joy BC
3: joy? <laughs> <laughs> it's all joy it's
1: all love so
3: exclusively <laughs> it's
2: about joy yeah. <laughs> didn't
3: actually notice There's that no but it's very true that. <laughs> joy bc is an artist yeah and a jeweler and i went to see her in her studio and she showed me these combs and i was straight away blown away by them but mainly because of my experience with my hair we talked, we're constantly talking about hair and the hair doing process was really really painful for me as my whole childhood it was like something i would just a terror i had dreadlocks i had locks for 10 years I got when I was 13 because the whole hair process was just horrible so when I saw those combs I said to Joy like I just feel like this is really special because the hair won over the combs over the pain of what that what they mean and that's why they have the image upstairs hot comb of the young girl with the two combs in her hair and that whole story which was in Luncheon Magazine was about my experience of my hair and what that means to us and uh, the combs in Wata with the first iteration of that exploration and that um, collaboration with Joy BC.
0: And that colour of the combs? Yeah. is such an exquisite colour. Mm-hmm. It's actually the colour that Zoe Badeau, in our interview with her, said was her favourite colour. You know when you see, like... A lichen, lich lichen? No, it wasn't lichen, no. there's a. You know when you see, like... Um, uh, metal outside mm. that's changed colour yeah. and it's gone to a special kind of greeny blue yeah. turquoise I can't remember what the colour's called knowingly, but there's a really specific word and that was what it made me think
3: of and it, that's really perfect for the whole idea of these jewels that Mamiwata has and the importance of those and the journey of those because the process of doing that it's not like a quick process that's something that needs time to, to make the mm. combs that colour and they have their own life and their own story in that process
2: I think we couldn't even we couldn't actually no. touch the the blue ones because um what was reasons? Yeah, it was poisonous oh. we were, Yeah, so those We had
3: to handle them with were gloves. They with gloves. With yeah. With something. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So for some people's skin it irritates you can't so you can't touch them.
0: Wow, it's intense. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's intense. There's something about the kind of um power of an object mm-hmm. and the way that they can, the object itself can have a kind of life or a soul or a you know there's a whole thing in Japan where objects often are seen as having their own kind of life force mm-hmm. and uh, history. And,
1: and then they repair them with that gold mm-hmm. seam, yeah, which yeah, makes yeah. them more beautiful. So that broken object then becomes even more elevated. Mm-hmm. And
0: there's something about that concept, which I related to in the film for some reason. I kept thinking about it as I was watching it. It's quite a, like an ancient thing, like a connection to kind of ancient um, like objects and
3: stories. And yeah, well, yeah. that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how, how important
1: is colour in your both your practices? Because I know for you, you say that your work is bright colours, faces and black lines. And yeah, it's very important. So, <laughs> That's
3: a good summary. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah.
1: so vibrant. And obviously the colour blue, yeah. it feels like in the photographs looking upstairs, whether this is one series we're seeing mm-hmm. or if that is a, throughout no, your practice. Yeah, it's,
3: it's also really important in my practice. Where, I mean, we really align because we're both obsessed with blue, but we also work with brown and white. So these, those are the themes that I kind of work in. And I, I sort of got really interested in brown maybe a couple of years ago when I started shooting medium format because I could take close-ups of skin in a way that I'd never done before because I'm not like, I didn't train as a photographer or anything. I just sort of picked it up and I'm self-taught. So when I got this medium format camera and I had a 90mm lens on it, just the texture that I can see in the skin.
1: What does medium format mean? What's that?
3: Um, mean? So, I mean, this is my very non-technical, technical explanation. It's just a, a larger format than thirty-five mil. So it's not the largest. There are bigger formats, but it's quite big. So you can get so much more Detail. information right. from information. the image. Exactly. Um, so when you shoot it on skin you can get so much information and texture and I think with our skin it's something that, I mean brown is something that's really heavy, brown's a really heavy colour because it has so many connotations already and through my work I'm really exploring the extent of brown and the textures and the tones and how special, how rich but also how full of trauma it is um, and then pairing that with white which is traditionally the colour of purity is a play that I'm really interested in and we were really interested in within this film.
2: Yeah, for me, it's just blue, really. Yeah.
3: I mean, like, I think you
2: also, when I think of your work, I do think of the colour brown and
0: skin. Yeah.
2: And I think
1: that's the clothing, the brown, like the clothing at the end, the, yeah. and the, the kind of domestic scene, they're all in different shades of brown. Mm-hmm. And even the beautiful mm-hmm.
0: carpet you've uh, placed beneath us right now is yeah. <laughs> a yeah. <laughs> gorgeous exactly. brown. Yeah. You know, think, sorry. No, no, you go. No, no, you go.
3: Uh, I was just going to say that brown was rarely something that's celebrated, rarely a colour that's celebrated, rarely a colour that anyone actually even thinks of is a colour. And I think Mm. that's so, uh, kind of, really explains how the way, the way that we're seen and the way that our colour, skin colour is seen in society. And it wasn't until I read why I'm no longer talking to white people about race, honestly, that I started to break down some of my own prejudices that I had towards myself and other black people. Internalised Yeah, completely. Completely. Well, like, why would I walk down the road and if there was a group of black boys, cross over, but if it was a group of Asian or white boys, not cross over. Things like that. I think a
2: lot of us have that kind of internalised... Completely. Like, racism that we haven't... Like, some people are working on some haven't.
3: Yeah, and I I mean, we grew up with it as well. So, like, being light-skinned was was desirable. Being dark-skinned wasn't desirable. Mm. Having that light, bouncy, golden, mixed-race people hair that you see in adverts and television is what was desired. So... When I was younger, until I was late into my teens, I would always wear sun cream and to try and stay out of the sun because I wanted to be lighter skinned. And you're also think... told
2: that by eld- elders as well to keep out of the sun. Exactly. You know, make sh- like you refer to certain hair textures as good hair and mm-hmm. others as bad hair. There's a lot of like uh, self hate that is like perpetuated. Um, yeah, perpetuated sometimes by the people that are closest to you. Yeah. You know. Exactly. And actually, when I see your work, I feel like it does the complete opposite for me and it's actually made me really love the color brown and like want to be surrounded by it actually and like me I do also want to get a full brown, brown outfit it's coming just from seeing
1: like brown like uh so oh, it well it's just for own. That
3: was <laughs> 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 well I so my boyfriend is Portuguese and he always loved brown just like not in a that kind of way, but in a color way, he always wears tans, he loves wearing browns, and it was never something that I would ever do. I didn't have any brown in my wardrobe. I just wouldn't do it. We just just don't think about it. And actually, through being with him, being more comfortable with my skin and seeing my beauty and accepting that through my photography, through accepting and seeing other people's beauty mm. has made me have so much more love for myself and the colour brown. And now I've started making clothes and almost all of them are brown. <laughs> yeah, <so laughs> um, did you make this what I did. you're today? Yeah, you did? yeah, I did. It's extraordinary what you're wearing today. It's thank so you. beautiful, so um, elegant. Thank you. Oh, yeah, so almost all the clothes I'm making are brown. And so I guess
1: art is therapy.
3: Massively, for you, yeah.
1: For you, Joy
3: yeah definitely like
1: found your way through the diaristic approach to making art
2: is yeah therapy. yeah I mean it's it's all that I do and what I enjoy and when actually after writing or painting I've immediately feel much better and it's, it's just like a way of communicating when I don't always have the words like I haven't seen myself as being like that super articulate uh art student even when I was studying I wasn't that great at forming up all these essays, but drawing and painting, I just felt comfortable saying what I want to say just through visuals. That's how I've always been.
3: I feel like we're always forced to explain ourselves as well. I mean, I feel like this, especially as a black artist, always have to explain ourselves, always have to be like over-conceptualise everything just to be taken seriously. And I think through an art practice, the, the work can speak for us and we don't have to say anything. We don't even have to say what it's about it just speaks and that's quite peaceful mm-hmm. yeah. that's
1: just... it doesn't need to be present it's like exactly. the work speaks mm-hmm. for itself
2: yeah but well, even with the film there's no there's no like speech no there's no speech there's, it's no. just music and movement the movement speaks for itself mm-hmm. and like you don't have to necessarily understand the full story of what's going on
3: well but... we even kind of wanted biram who's speaking Wolof well off at the end we love that we can't... We don't know what he's saying. We can't understand it. And that's the beauty of it. You don't have to understand it. You just feel it. You
1: sort of know what he's saying. He's not saying something offensive. No,
3: yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we know and it's it's <laughs> We know it's on no, brand. It's like someone watch it, like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's
2: definitely in theme with the project.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: So poet, poetries, you are a poet as well.
2: I would never describe myself as <laughs> a poet. But you write,
1: you write. Poetry. Yeah, I
2: do write, I do write. I think it's just because... There's other people who do it and they love it and they're really great and I just never see myself as a poet. It took me a really long time to even call myself an Would artist. Do you have
1: poems like, on the tip of your tongue that you can speak whenever?
2: Not really, no. <laughs> so you couldn't <laughs> no.
1: give us a little
2: poem now? I, I knew you were going <laughs> to ask that. <this. Yes. laughs> no, I definitely, I'm, I'm just not that kind of person. Like I've, I think growing up I've always been a really, really shy person and actually for a long while my parents just said I just didn't speak. <laughs> so it's, like, I'm, a poetry doesn't really suit me. It's always just been painting and illustrating and drawing and, like, communicating what I want to say through my art. I just That's got just... an
1: incredible poem through you, though, by Audre Lorde called
2: okay. Black yeah.
1: Unicorn. Oh, yeah, yeah, I right? know, yeah, is, yeah. Would you read that out?
2: Uh, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> could I read it out? Yeah, you like, could read it, you could read it. It, read it, it. it is amazing, an You can do
3: <laughs> this. Actually, I, I actually
2: have quite a few of her books as you well. You sure you don't
3: want to read it out, Joy? <laughs> I
0: don't want to read it you, you, you do it, Ross. It's
3: okay, there. Go on, Joy, go on. Yes. Go on. If it
2: makes I want to hear it in your voice. Okay. <laughs> I'm suddenly now conscious of my reading voice. No, you sound great. You've got a beautiful voice. Okay. We love your voice. Oh, thank you. <laughs> the Black Unicorn. The Black Unicorn is greedy. The Black Unicorn is impatient. The Black Unicorn was mistaken for a shadow or symbol and taken through a cold country where mist-painted mockeries of my fury. It is not on her lap where the horn rests, but deep in her moon pit growing. The black unicorn is restless. The black unicorn is unrelenting. The black unicorn is not free. Wow. Thank you so much for reading
1: that. I'm sorry I'm just writing it on you, but that was so worth it. I actually have her book as well, like the collected poems. It's called The Black Unicorn, a
2: collection of poems, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: So what was it about that poem that spoke to you and how did that channel into your practice?
2: I think I actually just really got into her work during university, I think that's probably most most people who know of her work, it's usually around that time. Um, but her writing just feels freeing. Her her writing is just... I've never, ever read poetry like that. When I was in school, poetry was very different. It had, like, a, a set story to it, or it had, like, a rhythm and rhyme. Was This was... It didn't have that. <laughs> and I like that about her work. So there's, I think there's so many, like, poets now who are doing some really amazing things so like one poet that i love um abundance matanda do you know abundance? i love abundance obsessed with absolutely I mean, obsessed with her, her she speaks well. like the people that i know mm-hmm. and her her writing just feels so real it doesn't feel like it's been pushed through like a university or gallery or anything it just feels academic. raw yeah it's
3: raw but it is so rich in the way that academic pieces are rich it has that depth it has so much depth that, I mean abundance of writing for anyone who's listening to this and doesn't know it needs to know it
0: is there one um piece by abundance that you would recommend to read to start or just
3: well an essay that I really enjoyed was uh the first galleries I knew were black homes the title yeah, was that's, something that's the most iconic one be. yeah <laughs> does, that, does that
1: play with the title here, then, in some ways as well?
3: I mean, it's definitely... That essay has definitely been influential to me, for sure. Actually, I met Abundance because they came to my first exhibition five years ago, and it was it was like... I didn't know what I was doing. It was supposed to be a joint show with someone who knew what they were doing, and it ended up being a solo show, and Abundance came and gave me a zine, um, which I have upstairs, actually, um, with a friend of theirs, uh, Alameday, who has a zine in of London. And then after that, Abundance did a poetry book called Bearfuckeries which everyone needs to have. I have it upstairs. Their
2: fuckeries. Bear
3: fuckeries. Oh. I have it upstairs. You can check it out. Yeah, cool. Um, I mean, her poetry is just... Yeah, it's sick.
0: Wow. I've never heard of her, but I'm really excited. Yes. Yeah, you can check it out. It's another discovery today. Um... You currently have Joy, an exhibition in Manchester at another space called Home, which is not, <laughs> yeah. home, not related to this. No, home, we're not related. It? Which I also love, though. There's lots of positive joy spaces of joy. called Home. Yeah. Joy's joy only yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Joy's is only having shows at home. Um, yeah, Can <laughs> you talk a bit about that show? Because I haven't seen it, obviously, because of lockdown. I wish I could see it. But when I saw the images from that show... It, made me really want to talk to you for Talk Art because I think that exhibition looks extraordinary, like next-level extraordinary. Thank you. I mean, this show is too, so you've done two extraordinary shows. But can you speak a bit about how that show came about?
2: Yeah, so that, um, that exhibition is called Blue Glass Fortunes. I actually exhibited it here in London once before, but it was for such a short amount of time. But um, in Manchester, it just feels... I haven't been able to actually see it because of lockdown, but it feels like it's... At home, um, that series of work was completely based off of dreams. And I think it's going to sound ridiculous, but for that period of time, and when, when I was making it, I would wake up and record the dreams that I would had, which like on voice notes. On voice notes, yeah. yeah. I was too tired to write it, so it just was practical. And um, the the whole series came from a dream. It's like a dream within a dream. So I had the idea in a dream, woke up and thought, okay, I'm going to start making this, which is, i probably, like, lost your completely. (laughs) No, it's so um, cool. (laughs) I love that. But the the very first painting is called Blue Glass Fortunes, and it was a dream that I had where I remember um, it was a really dark ballroom, and there were these, like, blue wine glasses scattered around the room, and in those wine glasses it was like a candle or some kind of light. So they were like illuminating the whole entire room and there were people dancing. This is actually the painting that we reference in the film with the overhead scene. Um, And that is what started like the the whole series of them like having a dream and then painting it, having a dream and then painting it.
1: Sections of text as well, which you can't, we can sometimes decipher, but they're never completed sentences.
2: I think, that is me often running out of space. Um, <laughs> it's just the way that I work. I just get so into the moment and then writing. And my sense of space, just what's left on the page, doesn't always work out. And then I start again from the top. So actually, it's best to read it from the bottom and oh, then okay. um, work your way to the top. So there's a lot of
1: motifs that appear in your work. So the, the blue glass, there's a blue mirror. But a lot of people are in very boxy suits. And I came to your work through Paul Smith, a collaboration you did where you... Made three clay ceramics, and they're all in Paul Smith striped boxy suits. That's a really interesting concept that goes through all your work. What is the suit?
2: We were actually just I talking asked Joy that, about that earlier because oh, people yeah.
3: are coming to, people are coming to the show, and I'm here every day. I was people ask me lots of questions about Joy's work, and most of the things I know the answers to. But what, what are the suits about? Is something that keeps coming up, and I was like, look, I need to ask Joy because I don't know.
2: Yeah, so we were talking about um, the. Uh, you call them like Congolese dandies um they Do dress America, up is
1: it the zoot suit because there's a no, it's called Troy Mitchie who we oh,
2: some of them wear like zoot well they wear all kinds of suits yeah. <laughs> but um it's a very like uh, popular like lifestyle where you wear like your best suit bright colors right, yes. um pinks and yellows everything like bowler hat stick like pointy shoes like people really take fashion seriously um I would say that 70% of my family dresses like that <laughs> <laughs> on my dad's side. So um yeah, um the suit I just love. I was saying that I if I could, I would probably wear a suit every single day. But sure. yeah, I think Do you have that's a suit? A, I don't. And I think it's because I wanna get something that is fitted properly. Yeah. And for me, a suit doesn't feel like um like a banker working kind of thing. I think when you take it out of that context of like uh, upper class, like business kind of look, and you put it on someone like me, it becomes completely different. Probably a bit queer. And I, th- I like that, yeah, you know, very, that it yeah. suddenly, like any gender can wear that item. Like it's not exclusively for, you it's know, It's not b- binary.
1: And you identify yeah, as yeah. non-binary. Yeah, so that, yeah. And that plays into your work.
2: I would definitely say that the suit is is that and like everyone in those paintings are wearing suits it's it's not always it's not meant to be clear what their their gender is and it's actually kind of irrelevant in most of the pieces mm-hmm. um so yeah they all wear suits and that's how I would like to be in an ideal
0: world. so when russell discovered you through the paul smith um collaboration um you had created some kind of ceramic um sculptures which also have your um, illustrations and paintings on the actual ceramics themselves. So they're so exquisite. And he sent it to me. And because I originally knew your first artist name, which is Joy Messi, which is how I discovered you through Danae and Nadira, I didn't think, I didn't put it together. And then I suddenly clicked and I was like, Ross, I know about this artist already. (laughs) So we got really excited. So I kept discovering your work through different sources. But can you speak a bit about these ceramic works? Because they are so good. You've been working
1: with a lot of ceramics as well, aside from that, haven't you?
2: Yeah, I think. I describe my work as mixed media because it's constantly changing what I do um, I like figuring out a whole new medium like panicking a bit because I don't know how to use it and then just seeing where it takes me and ceramics is one of the things that I've been continuously interested in like making things out of clay the feeling of actually moulding and shaping something from beginning to end and then firing it is just something that I've, like brings me so much joy to do and Last, actually, earlier in th- this year, I worked with um, Chris Bramble-Carter in... Um, Carter, is it Chris? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, right, if I got yeah, it right? Yes. He's
2: the dad in yeah, a... Bride, yeah, yeah. It's a, fam- it's a, a family thing, family, actually. Yeah. They've got both the twins. I think they do ceramics. But um, working with him was like, really, really great. Um, I learned a lot, and... Actually, one of the things I remember is him constantly saying, with gusto, with gusto. (laughs) (laughs) Because I would just be like, they're really like working really slowly trying to get this done. He put, okay, we need to speed this up. Is that
1: the hard line that goes through your painting? I guess you like the solid black line, the outline to be clean.
2: Yeah, yeah. I wanted it to be absolutely like clear and perfect. And also I didn't want it to explode in the kiln, which like he'd gotten into my head that one small chip of like plaster could just make everything explode so I was taking it really seriously and I learned so much about ceramics from him and my time there um so yeah and that 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 series that I done for Paul Smith that was using air dry clay at home instead because of like the lockdown there were certain restrictions um and it was a a different making process but still very therapeutic to do and like I would recommend that like, everyone try that. Just try and buy, like, a small bit of air-dry clay and see what you make.
0: It's amazing the, um, the increase in spaces for making ceramics now and clay objects. In Margate, we have a space called Clay Space, and they do a lot of amazing um, exhibitions in the window. So it's a really small um, studio, but in their window, it's a shop front and they they have a little shelf. And then every week you can see a different artist who's been practicing there, does a little mini exhibition, it's so cool. Um, But I really loved those works. So thanks for talking a bit about them. And then one other thing I really wanted to mention is in your film, the lighting, is so extraordinary. And there's that one scene where you have all these different coloured lights kind of on the surface of, of the um, model's and dancer's skin. And it is just one of the most extraordinary shots that I have seen in ever, really. I mean, it's amazing. Can you speak a bit about how your approach was with lighting? Because that must have been so
3: difficult to pull off somehow. Oh,
0: you have to talk about Beatrice. Yeah, Beatrice. So
3: Beatrice, <laughs> the cinematographer, is. I've been working with her for a few years, and she's amazing because we are really new to film. So, so many ideas we have, we didn't really know how to execute it. So Beatrice will be the one to come in and be like, this is how it's done. And actually that was quite simple because we knew we wanted it to be really dark and we just wanted the light to be the, the colour to be the focus. But interestingly, because we shot almost all the film except the underwater scenes on film, analogue, we couldn't actually really see what it was. So we just obviously asked Beatrice what we wanted and on set it was more like, guys, this is an idea of what it's going to be. Don't take this seriously because this is not it. So actually, only once we'd finished filming and we sat in the edit, we saw what the, how it came mm. out.
0: Was that really nerve-wracking?
3: No, we just not yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was
2: one moment where I think we weren't sure if it recorded properly. Do you remember? Oh, yeah, in because shooting on
3: film, you have to check the gate yeah. and see if there's hair in the thing. And so many times me and Joy would be like, yeah, we're done, we're done. And then the guy was like, no, we need to do it again. <laughs> and that was really difficult because... Especially even with my photography, like, I'm really not... I don't overshoot. I shoot on film and I shoot really minimal. And once I've got it, I'll move on. So I'm very quick You're and I just... Do you the room
1: as well? Do you work in...?
3: Um, no, so actually, it's interesting you ask because I've realised there are so many parts to a photographic process. And the part I enjoy is the shooting. So I don't scan my own film. Mm-hmm. I go to a lab, Chan, in um, Shoreditch, which is, which is amazing, give them my roles, and then I just get the beautiful surprise at the end. Um, but anyway, so I always... Yeah, once I've got it, I've got it and I move on. So actually having to repeatedly shoot scenes and get the energy up of the cast and, like, be like, okay, guys, we just need to do this again was...
1: Frustrating in some ways?
3: New. It was new. new. Right. Yeah,
2: definitely new. I felt like new. I'd, I'd learnt a lot. Nice a lot. way of
3: saying,
1: <laughs> <frustrating>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You get frustrated, and you're like, Hell yeah, especially this hair in the gay stuff. Yeah. You do a good shot and you've been screaming and crying and they go, to go, go again. Exactly. Like, why? why,
3: why? Well, especially in that final scene where it's so high energy... Yeah. and have to yeah. do that a couple of times
2: oh, God, yeah. oh I actually enjoyed that when we were doing it because it had so much energy you know, we character. were running out
3: of time and the, <laughs> the, the first AD kept being like this is it we're doing it again and I was in whispering in Joy's ear let's do yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: like with my shot because I was like, okay, and you like, yeah,
3: let no, on, let's just be- do another one. Let's just do no. it. It was because initially in our shot list, it was quite rough, and we just wanted to be quite spontaneous with it. And at the end, we were never supposed to have Mami Wata and the dancer together dancing in the middle. Yeah. So that was something on set we really wanted to do, and we were running out of time. And they were like, we need to leave the studio, and we were like, let's just do it and joy's like the diplomatic one and i'm like ah, i really want to do it so it was yeah
1: oh boy, it's amazing so how <laughs> much longer is this show up for what up
3: uh, it closes on the 9th of february
1: okay great so, and then what next for you guys or what's the next show you're going to have here because now you're like curating yeah. a space
3: yeah the next show we have is from an amazing uh british painter called cc phillips and it's her debut solo show so that's really exciting okay. and her work is again color-based um and she uses color to the show the show is called i see in color um and she's using her experiences of what it means to be black and british to her and um how comfortable she feels in this ground that's supposed to be ours because we're born here but is it really and she's using color to explore that and explore kind of hidden histories so that's the next show that's on here
1: and what about for you joy what's next because you do a lot of collaborations as well right
3: yes i do um
2: what's next for me? My, my intention is to rest. Joy was like, yes. I'm going to take a month off. <laughs> yeah. I'm, that's what I want to do. I just want to not work for a while, like just not do anything, mm. just relax. And I think from those periods is, is then when I feel inspired to make the next series right. of work.
0: I think solitude is such an important thing for artists as well. Um, you know, to have that space for yourself so that you can then open up and take yourself somewhere new with your creativity without Without. without
1: any pressure of having to create
2: yeah that's what I want to do I I don't really work well just like sitting down thinking what what am I going to make next I have to actually just go and see art watch movies do nothing for a long time and then the idea will come to me sometimes in a dream sometimes
0: so on that topic we ask every guest we have on the show two questions one is if you could do an imaginary art heist and go and steal any artwork that you wanted it could be a building or it could be a anything you want basically but or an object or anything um what would it be and what would you take home oh
2: i know what i'd take i feel like we'd take <laughs> we.: waited, we, 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 <laughs> we already had this conversation kerry james, we both take kerry james oh
3: Marshall. yeah which one yeah. do you
1: know which painting and where did you see this his work
2: um, I don't know the name of the painting that I'm thinking of, but it has um, two people dancing and then a record player yeah. and like a really colourful rug yeah, like and the music notes. Yes, yes, That's yes. The one that yeah, I would the notes take. are actually
1: drawn across the yeah. canvas. Yeah. And
3: I would take the one that is like looking through the window of a woman, sort of maybe changing, maybe dancing, spending time on her own in her room, and I think I saw it at David's Werner. Yes. Um, About two years ago or something. Yes, exactly. And actually, what's really lovely is somebody from, well, one of the directors of David Zawana was here on Thursday and sent us some gifts of some really amazing art books.
1: Um, Not Rodolfo, no. Yeah. Yes. He was here. He came with Francis. Oh.
3: Um, So he came with Francis and then he sent over some amazing books. So generous, yeah. Which is... It's just so special, I think, because one thing that I really want to do here is have more conversations with other galleries and make it more of a sharing type of experience. And I would love other galleries to respond to the shows we have here and have those communications and connections. So to start, I mean, this obviously... This has to
1: be a part of the conversation. It will be.
3: Exactly. Yeah. So to start that with that, that amazing gift of some beautiful books is, yeah, it's just really, really special. Because you're building a little
1: library upstairs, I yeah, saw, yeah,
3: we have a library. Because also that's another thing, like... Where do where do people access amazing art books and where can they just go and flick through them and touch them without having to necessarily buy them because a lot yeah. of them can be quite expensive, um, especially books from Black artists. Yeah. So we have two curations. We have our normal home library and then we have a special curation from BB's books, which is about a book club um, amplifying the voices of people of colour artists and writers and so BB's books library will change every with every exhibition so it kind of responds to the show and she's starting a physical book club in January here um, so I'm really excited to have that.
1: Oh, amazing um, yeah <laughs> you're very inspiring uh, the other question we ask is what is your favourite colour which I think we know the answer but
2: <laughs> I just looked. to um, I actually am torn between yellow and blue
0: Oh, I think I'm going brown.
1: Amazing. Well, yellow and blue feature in your work a lot.
0: Yeah, they <laughs> do. One of our favourite paintings upstairs. We love the the one that's yellow background. It's the dance. Yeah. So the,
3: dance. the dance, yeah. so, um, The pair in the dance. Yeah,
2: I'm obsessed with like yellow, blue.
3: Also, your other sometimes red. Your well.
2: Instagram. Oh, my yellow Instagram. joy has got oh, a yellow yeah. Instagram.
3: What? what do you mean? I, I Is it low private, key? But it's like uh, really.
2: Lo- it's just like p- yellow. Pictures, things, yeah, things, yellow things that I've just seen. It's <laughs> just amazing. It's
1: what's your what's the handle for that, or is it private? I've,
2: I've made it private. Okay. <laughs> I might actually delete it and make a new one.
3: Okay, about blue, <laughs> about blue. About blue. <laughs> Yeah, I'm rebranding, or maybe so. just make another one so that when you come back to yellow, you can just unactivate it.
2: It's just go through color phases so okay. quickly. So I'm just not
0: sure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, that goes into your diary approach to everything. That's fantastic. Well, thank you very much.
0: Thank you so much. I think you're both extraordinary human beings, and I am so grateful that we got to meet both of you because I have just, I just think you're yeah. both amazing. Thanks and Joy, pleasure. I love yeah. your work <laughs> so much. And Be Ronan, soon. I am so happy that we've just discovered your work today because you're an extraordinary photographer. I mean, thank you. incredible work. And this space is
1: really, yeah. really exciting. Yeah.
0: So everyone listening, please go see this show because I think it's going to change your life. And, um, yeah, I'm so happy. So what's the address here?
3: So it's the name is Home by Ronan McKenzie and we're at 397 399 Hornsey Road.
0: Perfect. And what's the nearest tube?
3: Uh, nearest tube is Finsbury Park, but you've oh, got, okay. oh yeah, Archway, really close by. And then overgrounds, you've got Crouch Hill and Holloway, like five minutes walk away. So you have
0: no excuse if you're listening to this <laughs> and you're in London or you're visiting London, you, you, you head over there. We've got an Instagram, yeah.
3: it's home underscore by underscore Ronan McKenzie. And then the website is homebyrm.com, dot space. I'm lying. Oh and my do God. you have your own <laughs> personal <laughs> Instagram? I do. What's it's uh, Ronan KSM.
1: Okay. And Joy.
2: It's at Joy Yamusangi. Should I spell Yamusangi? Sure. Let's spell it. Mm -hmm. So it's J-O-Y-Y-A-M-U-S-A-N-G-I-E.
0: And we will link to all of your Instagram (laughs) and your website um, in the episode notes, but also on our Instagram and now Twitter, because we're at TalkArt. Uh, Twitter, who knew? Yeah. I mean, I'm not We've very good at Twitter. Got, I just...
1: we, haven't got, we haven't got TikTok yet. But...
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> imagine yeah, yeah, yeah. me and you on I mean, TikTok? You'd yeah, be hideous.
1: You I mean, would love it. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: I've never been yeah. on it. I'm so old. Um, thank you. It's been a privilege. And... Uh, Lots of love, everyone. We'll be back very soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You've been
1: listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and
0: Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode. With music by Jack Northover.
1: Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts.
0: Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip.